Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. In episode 12, we're taken over by Karl Marx as we look at church decline through the lens of power. We're trying to define what it means for church to decline. We looked last week at the numbers. Today we're going to look at power and just how much church has lost it. What do I mean by power? The definition I like is this. Power is the possession of control, the ability to control the world around you and the possession of all the levers of power that shape society. It's easy to forget just how powerful the church used to be. And the first example I want to give is looking at the nation of Ireland, this European nation on the British doorstep. The present day church in Ireland is mainly Roman Catholic and pretty weak. Despite most of the present political elite of Dublin having been educated in Catholic church schools, The country keeps making one big social change after another that flies in the face of what the Catholic clergy want. From same-sex marriage to abortion, every time an issue comes over the hill, the Dublin establishment say what they think a modern progressive country should be. The church urges the people to vote against it and the church loses. I've lost count of the number of Irish films I've seen, where the main storyline is about how cruel life was when the church ran things and how much people suffered under ecclesiastical barbarism. Clearly there's an appetite for stories that make Irish people feel good about moving away from life under the church. The abuse of children by priest scandal has lowered deference to the clergy to the extent in parts of Ireland, clergy can't walk down the street wearing a dog collar for fear of being spat in the face. Increasingly, Irish people no longer think of Catholicism as the core of their identity. Just one story to show how different things once were. I need to thank the Irish historian Fintan O'Teal for this one. In the 1950s, Archbishop John McCade of Dublin did not like the amoral forces creeping into the national radio station. He particularly didn't like the way listeners kept requesting the station to keep playing a particular Cole Porter song, Always True to You. I'm always true to you, darling, in my fashion. Yes, I'm always true to you, darling, in my way. Cole Porter's declaration of faithfulness wasn't quite good enough for the Archbishop. He felt it was undermining the Church's teaching about marriage. So what did he do? Did he thunder a sermon of condemnation from the pulpit of the cathedral? No. Did he write a letter to the most important national newspaper, disgruntled of Dublin? No. Did he ask for a meeting with the manager of the local radio station, committing these sins? No. 
He didn't need to do anything so crude or combative. He didn't even have to say anything. The matter came up at a dinner with influential lay people who were anxious for his approval. And when the subject came up, he simply raised his eyebrows. They could see he didn't like it, and so they went off and did the rest. And the next time the song was requested, the station played an orchestral version with no lyrics. So the Archbishop of Dublin was offended no more. Now that's what I call power. That was a churchman in possession of control. He didn't need to jump up and down in protest. The people who ran the country would not dare to offend him. You might say that the Catholic Church was too powerful in mid-20th century Ireland. What I think you can't deny is that the power of the Church has declined. Perhaps the most famous example of an English churchman sticking his neck into sticking his neck out in the life of the nation and putting his oar into private lives was the Queen's sister, Princess Margaret, wanting to marry a divorced man. In 1953, Group Captain Peter Townsend proposed to Princess Margaret after recently divorcing his first wife. The princess wanted to marry him. Geoffrey Fisher, the Archbishop of Canterbury, often likened to a headmaster, refused to allow the princess to marry the divorced man. So what did she do? Tell the ABC to get lost? Arrange a wedding wedding on a far-flung, sun-drenched island with a blessing by some other religious denomination? Which is probably what a princess would do today. No, she accepted it. And although Fisher's stance divided British society, not everyone agreed with him. Attitudes to divorce were changing. Nevertheless, his line stuck, and the church got away with it, just about. But the idea of any present-day church leader trying to tell any family, royal or common, who they can marry or can't marry is for the fairies. They wouldn't dare. In no part of church life are leaders, church leaders, still in possession of control. So what did they used to control? How about education for a start? Oxford and Cambridge universities were originally training colleges for clergy. Only in the 20th century did the state take over schools. Before that, most schools were owned and run by the church or church-related charitable foundations. The church controlled all branches of learning, not just religious. The most famous power struggle between Pope Urban VIII and Galileo Galilei in the early 17th century. Galileo was the Pope's own astronomer. Quite literally, the church owned the scientific academy. And when Galileo kept saying that his telescope seemed to show that the earth moved around the sun, contrary to what the church had always taught, and he wouldn't pipe down, even after being discouraged by a church council, the Pope put him under house arrest. Now this tale is usually told as the story of clumsy censorship, and that's partly right. But what I'm asking you to see today is that the church controlled science 
and science was just one small part of church life in a way, in a world where church controlled virtually everything. How about healthcare? Most hospitals were run by the church. Look at the big hospitals in London and the clue is in their names. Bart's is St Bartholomew's which came out of a 12th century priory. Tommy's is St Thomas after the churchman Thomas Becket and ran originally by Augustinian canons. And these are not the only big London hospitals that were once part of medieval monastic life. Caring for the sick went alongside worship. The church controlled both. The church controlled everything. That name, Thomas Becket, is a trigger for looking at politics. Although the church never controlled the monarchy, as Thomas found out to his cost, king and church worked hand in glove most of the time, and it mattered to the king what the top churchman said. Why else would Henry VIII want his own church? Because having church support for your marriage plans and much else mattered. The House of Lords has always had a significant church presence. Until Henry VIII took a wrecking ball to the monasteries, the Lord's spiritual outnumbered the Lord's temporal, as the non-church appointments were called. Pre-Reformation, there were parts of this country like Durham, where the bishop had an army and minted his own currency. The power of the church was real, and it went far beyond what modern people think of as religion. What about money and the economy? Well, the modern state exercises possession of control through taxes. It tells you what you need to pay for and how much. And the church imposed its own tax on land and agricultural produce, the dreaded tithe as it was called slowly whittled away in 1836 and 1936. Taxation with the power to collect money from people who have no choice to pay, that really is brute power. Now I've got good news and bad news for anyone interested in this. The good news is that although Henry VIII confiscated this income stream for the state, Queen Anne gave it back to the church in 1704. But the bad news is that if and when the Church of England disestablishes itself from the British state, then when the divorce settlement comes, the state will probably be awarded most of those assets. And a lot of non-Anglican religious people will feel the Anglicans are only getting what they deserve. So the income is down and a lot of the assets are going to disappear. If cash is too vulgar for you, what about soft power? Do you enjoy looking at art in an art gallery? Or where do you think most art was before art galleries, which are a fairly modern invention? Some was in big houses, but most of it was in church. Walk around the Sainsbury wing of the English National Gallery and you see the gorgeous Madonnas and history paintings from the 13th century up to the Renaissance. Nearly all that stuff was once in church as altarpieces and liturgical surrounding. It's not much of an exaggeration 
to say that church owned art. Church was in possession of control of the visual arts. What about the modern city landscape? Again, try the City of London. When I was born, you could look across London from a hill such as Hampstead Heath and see a thicket of church spires marking out the old City of London. The spires are still there, but you can't see them because they've been crowded out by much taller office blocks. What does that say about the possession of control? One of the most tangible signs of the English church losing power is the houses clergy live in. In so many English villages, the graceful, commodious, best house in the village is called the Old Rectory, where you will find a prosperous older business person, but not a vicar. And if the village still has a resident clergy person, they will live in a four-bedroom executive-style box. Not homeless, not exactly the home of a poor person, but not something to send out the subliminal message, this is where the most important member of this community lives. During my lifetime, many bishops have been downgraded from palaces and castles to houses with titles like Bishop's Lodge, which gives a clue to their demotion. Now some of you are going to say, he keeps talking about the church being cut down to size as though this is a bad thing, but perhaps it's a good thing. I don't want a church throwing its weight around like a tin pot dictator. If the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head, then Christian clergy should live simply. Thank goodness most clergy today have got more sense than poking their noses into people's private lives. And as for health, glory be to the NHS. As for wealth, church is not an investment bank. Having less money might bring it closer to the people. In education, well, thank God the church no longer controls learning. And you're probably not alone in some of those concerns. There are probably quite a few Christians who would rather church did not have too much possession of control. But whatever sort of Christian you are, whether you see the mission of the church as saving souls or whether you think the church exists to serve soup to the hungry, you would probably like to see your church have a bit more resource. And would you not rather see the church gain a bit more power than the principalities and powers of this world? There's always going to be some very powerful organisation in this world. And I would prefer church to many of the most exploitative global companies that dominate our lives today. But the honest truth for me is that having lived in a an age when the church has so little power, I can't really imagine what it's like to live in a place where church has real power. So I don't know where I stand on this one. The only thing I can say with any certainty is that church power has been shrinking for an awful long time. Church used to be a very, very powerful organisation. It's not any longer. And my impression is that it's weakening all the time. And that's part of what I mean when I talk about church decline. We've thought today 
about power as brute force and control. Maybe it's not a disaster that church has declined in this sense. I don't know. Next time we're going to look at a subtler type of power. Influence. The power to shape what people think in the third of three sessions, trying to define what we mean by church decline. For today, I'll leave you with the question posed by Cole Porter. Does the church need power to be true to itself? I'm always true to you, darling, in my fashion. Yes, I'm always true to you, darling, in my way.